Hello everyone, welcome to the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I'm your host, Cannabis Sativa. If you're currently a medical marijuana patient and want to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at IamCannabisSativa at gmail.com. Feel free to hit me up on Instagram at IamCannabisSativa. Feel free to hit hit up our official Twitter account at ICSativaPodcast. You can find and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Anchor FM, Stitcher, and the Google Play Music Store. Please rate and review us on iTunes as rating and reviewing us will bump up the pod on their algorithm and put this podcast in front of even more eyeballs. If you like what we are doing, please become a patron and support us. We plan on doing big things with our humble little projects such as going to trade shows, visiting other MMJ or recreational states, and doing on-field work. Supporting us helps keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting and equipment, and travel. You can do that by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash I am cannabis sativa podcast slash support. Again, that's www.anchor.fm slash I am cannabis sativa podcast slash support. So, uh, as always, like, as I always say a lot of the time, I often say that it's a profoundly stupid idea to ever take medical advice from me. You know, don't take what I have to say as gospel. Um, you know, double check it, look it up, you know, um, speak with your doctor before making any changes to your medical regime, you know, talk it over with doctors and nurses that you, you love and trust, you know. You know, watch watch and listen to lectures by doctors and nurses about cannabis, you know, and whether it can help the symptoms or the things you're trying to have it help. You know, always double check, always get, always go to good sources, good medical professionals and doctors and nurses and, and what have you. Because they, they went to school, they went to school and they know about the human body. They're, they're pros at this. This is, their, this is what they do for a living. I'm just a... I'm just an activist with a podcast, but um, as as I've said earlier, I've I went to um, the New England Cannabis Convention, and um, I I took away a lot of useful things. I went to a lot of useful lectures, and um, one of those lectures was um, was a was a lecture about um, about different strains and about terpenes and. I really got a lot out of it, and it was given by um, a, a home care nurse. I, I believe what is what uh, the speaker said she was, but she's she's a medical professional, so she knows her stuff. It's not some lawmaker telling you 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 shouldn't smoke or weed is bad because Nancy and Ronald Reagan told me in the '80s, and I get paid by police unions to say it is bad and think it is bad. You know, this is actual medical professionals telling you what you can get out of cannabis. And this and this uh, particular lecture was very useful because I learned a lot of things about terpenes that I didn't know previously. You know, I learned about, you know, um, that certain terpenes, it's best to heat them at a certain temperature. And in this lecture, um, the speaker goes, g- talks about it and she's very, she, she's very knowledgeable and she teaches me a lot of stuff I didn't previously know 
and her name is uh, Kibra Nurse Kibra Smith Bolden. And the name of the lecture is Conditions, Strains, and Access. Where and how patients are finding medical cannabis in New England. And um, so she's a nurse from Connecticut. And she has a lot of useful things in this lecture. And you're really going to get a lot out of it and love it. And as I, I, I always try to get actual professionals to supplement the knowledge that we talk about in this podcast. Because I, I feel, like, like I said, taking medical advice is from me. Um, Mr. Sativa is a profoundly stupid idea and you will probably get you injured or hurt or sick. So I'm going to leave the floor to our to the presentation that I saw at the New England Cannabis Convention and I hope you enjoy it, which I know you will. Everybody, we're going to, you know, technical difficulties, difficulties kind of self-induced though. I was late handing in my presentation. <laughs> so I take full responsibility for that. Yes. How's everybody doing? Is everyone enjoying the conference? Awesome. It's a lot of knowledge, a lot of networking. But when we get up and run, running, we're, Kiefer is going to be talking about condition strains and access where and how patients are getting their medical cannabis again in 2019. Yeah. I want to know where. <laughs> and I'm not going to be that specific about where, like addresses and phone numbers. <laughs> so my name is Kibra Smith-Golden. I'm a registered nurse. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut. So I'm your neighbor, Massachusetts folks. And uh, I'm a North uh, New England, resident for my people from Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire, too, and Rhode Island, of course. How could I forget Rhode Island? Um, I got into, while they pull this up, I can tell a story that'll probably take just the amount of time for me to get finished. Um, so I got started in the cannabis industry after being a home care nurse for, I guess it was about a decade, about 10 years, and um, what happened didn't have anything to do with my patients. My grandmother, who was an 88-year-old, vibrant, full of life um, woman, had a boyfriend at 88, drove, she, you know, she just was the best. Uh, she had an aneurysm, and it almost took her off this earth. And um, after being in the ICU and being in a rehab uh, facility, she ended up coming home to live with me. And I was very uh, um, aware of how home care worked because I was a home care nurse. And so when my grandmother wasn't progressing with therapy, they were saying that they were gonna discharge her. So I was really concerned because at this point, my grandmother was wheelchair bound. She wasn't really eating. Um, she wasn't engaging with the family. She wasn't participating again in therapy. So I, I, I just didn't know what to do. And, um, and she was a phasic, so she really couldn't explain what was going on with her um, to, in, 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 in its entirety. Um, but it did seem like she was in pain, so we tried to give her Tylenol. And you know, I, I remembered uh, uh, that my grandmother didn't really tolerate narcotics well. You know, she just could take um, low doses of medications. And so, um, I was praying one day because I really was concerned about my grandmother's um, health and 
So I said, God, help me figure it out. And it hit me that my grandmother had told me maybe five, 10 years before that she had to smoke a joint and take a bath every day to get her body moving because of severe arthritis. So imagine after laying in the ICU, after being you know, in a nursing home and then coming to live with me, this was about three months after her aneurysm, she probably was in so much pain, um, you know, pretty contracted. And so we ended up um, uh, medicating her with cannabis. <laughs> and we got grandma high at the time. That's all I knew. And um, within a month, my grandmother was walking with the walker. She was um, eating. She was engaging and laughing with the family. She was able to eventually go back to church and do some of the things that she had been doing. She had company. It was just great um, that she was able to have quality of life. Uh, we helped to manage her pain, but it also helped to elevate her mood and, and re-engage her. And so I was so excited about, it looks like we're getting somewhere. See, I told you I'd be at the end of my story by the time. So I was so excited about uh, the progress I saw with my grandmother that I was like, I need to study this. So I came to the great state of Massachusetts and I went to a school called Northeast Institute of Cannabis. Um, it's no longer um, open now because uh, one of the partners passed away and they closed the school. But I learned so much about cannabis. I learned about the medicine and the science. And, and uh, most importantly, what I, what I didn't really learn, but just really had it put together was about the prohibition of cannabis and the social impact that it had on communities of color, poor communities. And I really got excited and engaged about um, being able to make changes. I never thought I'd be a part of policy making, but this got me, uh, I'm a policy maker now, you know, working on policies. So, you know, it, it really, it really hit on so many levels in my life as a nurse, you know, as a biology major, the science of it, and then, um, and then being a person of color who comes from the inner city, and I'm a 90s girl, so that was at the height of the war on drugs. And, um, and so I really was able to figure out exactly what I wanted to do rather quickly in this space. And um, I bought the license to Women Grow. Um, so I began having Women Grow networking meetings in the state of Connecticut. And then about two months later, I um, uh, founded Canna Help. Um, and it is a medical marijuana um, focused health and wellness center, but we help people get their uh, cards in the state of Connecticut because we do have a medical marijuana program and uh, we do we provide education. Brian Center is one of the pharmacists uh, that teaches classes uh, with us and um, we just really make sure that people are not just accessing you know, not just getting a card and, and accessing cannabis, but they're, they're knowledgeable about what they're consuming. So I took a little spin with my presentation, so I guess I should probably put it on my phone so I can see what's going on. So I really didn't, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because I didn't know what the, um, how much knowledge the audience would have on cannabis, so I just want to talk a little bit about history a little bit about prohibition because it's important to understand why you can't access uh, in, in some states, uh, access cannabis as easily as you should. And, and, and really just talk about the science of it because I could tell you a strain that works for me or a strain that works for Tara, but <laughs> if our bodies are completely different and so it might not work for you. 
So we have to be, we have to understand that there's more to cannabis consumption than just a strain type or even an indica versus sativa. You have to know about cannabinoid profiles and terpenes. So we're going to talk a little bit about this. And if, you know, if, if people seem to be getting it, we'll go pretty quickly and then we can just have an open discussion, okay? All right. So cannabis has been around forever. <laughs> and um, it was originally. Uh, seen in uh, the Chinese medicine uh, culture 5,000 years ago, and they've used it to treat gout, um, malaria, rheumatism, forgetfulness, and that was under Emperor Shen Nang. And so here we, we fast forward to the United States, <laughs> and it was used as um, one of the prime medicines in more than 100 separate illnesses and diseases in the U.S. pharmacopoeia. And also, it was a very, like you can see, they, they even <laughs> cannabis Americana. Um, they, they, they used it often, and it was a first line um, of medicine for many, many of, of the physicians who were prescribed. And so here's more pictures of um, medicine in the United States prior to prohibition. So you can see we have cough medicine, um, they would put um, cannabis on baby's gums, you know, so everybody's running around here talking about, oh, what about the children if we legalize? Well, the children are pretty happy and pain-free too, <laughs> and just fine. Um, and then we get to, you know, the passing, the, the, the beginning of the, the prohibition of cannabis, and uh, we see in the 1930s um, the great, uh, no, I won't call him great, greatly terrible, <laughs> Harry Anslinger, um, who was the uh, drug czar of the uh, Bureau of Narcotics. And he was instrumental in the prohibition of cannabis. Um, he had, my, my, my number one quote I used from him was that reefer would make darkies think they were as good as white people. And this is on congressional documents that he actually testified to that effect. And so, well, let me just ask, anyway, why, why was cannabis prohibited? <laughs> Go. Um, because they prohibited, like, the black people were doing it, that they were, I would guess, like, uh, emotionally in tune and, um, uh, like, true, like, you know, speaking truth and sort of pushing the envelope. And I also intuitively think it was because um, life seemed easier for black people and white people were pissed off that black people were still finding joy and happiness when they were trying so desperately to rip them of it. And they were like, there must be something going on. Uh, yes. <laughs> I saw another hand. To my understanding, it was because the prohibition of alcohol was coming back into play. Mm. And the the person that you just mentioned needed to find another way to make money. Mm. So that is that and the DuPont family and the I believe Hertz family were the three top people. One was for paper, the other one was for plastics. Back in the nineteen thirties, hemp was supposed to be congressionally uh, every farm was to grow hemp mm -hmm. and it was gonna take over the tree population. Mm -hmm. uh, and he actually came back and made the medical marijuana because he needed money. It was all about the money. Ah, all about the Benjamins, baby. Um, and so, anybody else have any ideas? Because those are two, those are right. Okay, 
um, a lot of it was coming from like Mexico and South America and the making money was you know very answer and went to Russia. Mm -hmm. Very true. I saw another hand. Um, so to sort of use it as like a um, wedge issue, so to sort of, to sort of like, and I, I feel even to this day, like some parties are using it as like a culture war issue. Mm -hmm. So they don't really have anything against the cannabis, mm -hmm. just just the people that they perceive as using it. Right. So. Did anyone say anything about, because these are all true and they're real, that's really it. That's the bottom line. So, you know, we didn't hear anything about social impact and, you know, the dangers to society, death and mayhem, <laughs> you know, all the things that, um, you know, fed into the reefer madness era. That, that basically was it. There, there, was, there were no valid social health-related reasons for prohibition. Um, so today, when we uh, address people who are prohibitionists, and they bring up all of these health consequences and all of these issues, it's like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but that's not the reason why it was pro prohibited. That's not the reason for the law. So we need to, since the reason for the law was based on racism and ridiculous propaganda, then the law is in, should be changed, period, point blank. And then we can address whatever these issues are. We can't even research properly because of prohibition. So, you know, there's a lot of, so anyway, yes. So it was prohibited, not because of health reasons, not because of uh, social impact, because of racially and financially motivated reasons. Okay, so this is a little timeline of um, marijuana legalization in the country. It goes up to uh, 2016, I believe, and uh, the Rohrbacher um, letter that went out that basically uh, blocked the Department of Justice from prosecuting state and legal cannabis businesses in 2014, which ended up um, allowing and affording uh, states a little more comfortability with their medical marijuana programs. They were less afraid that the feds would come in and. Um, and, and raid them and shut them down. And then we had Sessions who uh, rescinded this document and then now we have their back to supporting the fact that they're not gonna engage um, on a federal level with uh, states. Okay, so here's a little bit about federal, the current uh, federal law and where um, cannabis falls on the uh, scheduling chart. And it comes under a Schedule One, which means that it's a drug or other substance. It has a high potential for abuse. Um, so what does anybody know about abuse rates in cannabis? Anybody wanna uh, chime in on that? Is it highly abusive? Abused? No. It's about nationally a 9%, 9% um, of people nationally um, are may be addicted and, and abusing, but it also is effective medicine. So it really, you know, you really have to kind of look at that, but we know that some people are predisposed to addiction issues. And so, you know, we have to educate and make people aware of that. But that first uh, potential for abuse, not true. Um, medical use, it says this drug or other substance has no current accepted medical use and treatment in the United States. You know, that's wrong. <laughs> There's plenty of people using it medicinally. States have medical marijuana programs. And if you look over in the corner, 
Even the United States government agrees that it's medicine. I guess they just don't talk to each other. <laughs> the DEA and all these people. But um, the United States has a patent. It's patent number 6630507, which states that cannabinoids, which um, are the chemical or makeup of cannabis, have been found to be protective. So there's a little discrepancy and hypocrisy amongst the federal government. But just so you know, they know it's medicine too. And so currently, these are the states uh, that are legal. You're here in Massachusetts, you have adult use as well as a medical program. Um, there are currently, I believe, nine states, am I right? Um, and there are uh, several, 29 states or 30 states right now that are medical. 33, excuse me, 33 states that are medical. Yep. Puerto Rico has medical. Yes, it does. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about what cannabis is. Um, cannabis is a flowering plant. Um, it grows in almost any climate. It can be short, bushy, tall, thin, used for a variety of elements, and it's a female plant. And it basically, that, that word dioceus means that it has uh, both male and female capability. <laughs> and then we're going to talk a little bit about sativas. So um, again, like I said, this isn't the deciding factor, but these are the main categories for the cannabis sativa plant. Um, so sativa, they're tall, thin uh, leaves. The, the leaves are uh, thin. They're usually, it gives you a light and heady feeling. It's brain dominant. Usually you think of sativas as uplifting. Most people consume sativas during the day or when they're active. It can cause anxiety. So um, a lot of people do consume cannabis for social anxiety, for anxiety in general. Um, if you have a very high THC sativa, then that could cause more anxiety. And um, if you were in the previous discussion, we talked about if you feel like you are having too many um, side effects, unwanted side effects, you can definitely counteract that with CBD, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then indica, uh, those plants are short and bushy, um, the leaves are short and wide, and they're tightly packed, oval-shaped flowers. They have a deep body effect. So, you know, you ever heard the term indica in the couch? Because your body is so relaxed that usually you're down for the count. <laughs> it's good for people who have problems with sleep, with pain at night. Um, it has a sedative effect, and it's very good for pain management. And then there are hybrids, which are a combination of um, sativas and indicas. Um, those are the most commonly available um, strains you can find. They carry traits of both indica and sativa. So I always joke, like, there was once a hybrid that I consumed, and I literally, like, sat down on the couch, and then got up and walked across the room, and then sat down on another couch. I was like all confused. So hybrids, you know, you have to be very careful that you get the right uh, right combination for you. 
Um, ooh, thought it was really funny. I was like, this is too much. <laughs> um, so usually sativa or indica dominant. So if you have some pain, but you also need to be attentive and focused, you know, it'd be good to have a sativa dominant or which will help you with the focus, but some indica to help you uh, deal with the pain. And then um, the last uh, type is ruderalis. It's very low in THC. Um, it's not really used for medicine very well. Um, and, and they usually use that in crossbreeding for my uh, pr producers. So another little bit about sativas and indica. Again, sativas are mind dominant. They help with anxiety, but again, watch that THC um, level. It can be an antidepressant, uplifting, increased alertness, increases energy, and enhances creativity. Indica, body dominant, relaxing, pain relieving, muscle relaxing, appetite stimulating, and increases your dopamine levels. So we'll talk a little bit about the science and the medicine of cannabis. So, and we'll start with the endocannabinoid system. So, how, how many people have heard of the endocannabinoid system? Woohoo! Anybody got like a footnote or a cliff note version of what the endocannabinoid system is? In two minutes or less? No? All right, then I'll, I'll hit it. <laughs> the endocannabinoid system is a biological system which plays many important roles in the human body. It is responsible for the physical and psychological effects of cannabis. Endo means, or it stands for endogenous, and that means that it originates within the body. So this is a system that is in us, that we're all born with. Uh, cannabinoids refer to a group of compounds that activate this system. And the endocannabinoid system has two receptors, CB1 and CB2. CB1 and CB2 receptors are distributed throughout the body and the brain. CB1 primarily in the brain, CB2 throughout the body. Talk a little bit more about it. Also, I just stole my own thunder. CB1, <laughs> primarily inside the brain. It causes the euphoria. It helps to reduce pain. CB2, primarily found outside of the body. Peripheral receptors are all throughout throughout our body and, and they, that's where um, they attach to the cannabinoids. Reduction of inflammation um, helps with neurodegenerative disorders like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and Huntington's disease. So cannabinoids, break this down a little bit. Cannabinoids, again, are the chemical compounds secreted by cannabis flowers that provide relief to an array of symptoms, including pain, nausea, anxiety, and inflammation. These work their medicinal magic by, I love it when I, I'm so colorful when I write stuff. <laughs> These work their medicinal magic by imitating compounds that our body naturally produces called endocannabinoids. We just talked about them. They activate internal stability and health. And to put it simply, they mediate communication between cells where there's a deficiency or a problem in our endocannabinoid system. 
unpleasant and physical complications can occur if that doesn't get mediated. And cannabinoids are chemical messengers from the endocannabinoid system. While many different cannabinoids exist, they all fall under one of two categories, either exogenous or endogenous. So again, we talked about endogenous, meaning that it originates in the body. Um, it, and they interact with the cannabinoid receptors to regulate basic functions, including mood, memory, sleep, pain, and many others. But exogenous cannabinoids, um, it, that means they originate outside of the body. And the cannabinoids are found in, in cannabis, such as THC, tetra, um, tetrahydrocannabidiol, and cannabidiol, CBD, are considered exogenous. When consumed, they also interact with the cannabinoid receptor to produce physical and psychological effects in the body. So they work just like the endogenous ones. And real quick to talk about the endogenous ones, <laughs> um, we have 2-AG and anandamide, which are the two major endocannabinoids that scientists know of. Anandamide, which is the first endocannabinoid to be identified by scientists, was discovered in 1992, and it comes from the Sanskrit word, ananda, meaning bliss, referring to its unique effects on the mind and the body. And in 1995, scientists discovered the second one, which is 2-AG. I'm not even going to try that if I say 2 a record, 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 record. <laughs> But 2-AG is found in higher concentration in the brain, while anandamide is found more throughout uh, the body. Both are capable of, of combining to CB1 and CB2 receptors, but they differ in how they tend to go towards those receptors, the affinity towards those receptors. Okay. Endocannabinoids are short order neurotransmitters. So they're basically taking orders of where to go and what to do throughout the body. So THC is psychoactive. CBD, second most prominent, prominent cannabinoid, has no psychoactive effects, but it is extremely effective as an anti-inflammatory, as a sedative, and as a neuroprotector. And then a couple other cannabinoids, a CBG, that's the precursor to THC and CBD. And CBN is the third most prevalent chemical compound or cannabinoid. So this is some of the things that the endocannabinoid system regulates. Um, basic, really basic functions to the human body. Appetite, metabolism, pain, sleep, mood, movement, temperature, body, uh, memory and learning, immune function, inflammation, neural development, neural protection, cardiovascular function, digestion, and reproduction. That's just about everything. It, it's very similar to the lymph system, and, and, and works kind of in conjunction. So it's all throughout the body. And 
learning some more things about uh, the different cannabinoids, but just know that there are over, there are hundreds of cannabinoids, over 100 cannabinoids, and they all work differently, but they work best when they all work together. So let's talk about terpenes. So terpenes are aroma, aromatic oils that color cannabis varieties with distinctive flavors like citrus, berry, mint, and pine. Terpenes play a key role in differentiating the effects of various cannabis strains. Some terpenes promote relaxation and stress relief, while others promote focus and acuity. They're secreted in the same glands that produce cannabinoids like THC and CBD, and over 100 different terpenes have been identified in the cannabis plant, and every strain tends toward a unique terpene type of composition. So we'll, we'll go back and forth between this, and I know you can't really see it that well, but um, this just basically lists the different terpenes and some strains, so we'll go, you know, I'll, I'll read them out to you so you can see a little bit, I mean, so, so you can know what they are exactly. But apinine, that's one of the terpenes. Its aroma is pine. Um, for those who, are, who are make edibles and do extractions, it vaporizes at 311 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, the potential effects are alertness, memory retention, and it counteracts some THC effects. So you might see a lot of this in like CBD products. Would be a nice uh, combination. Potential medical value of, of um, apinine, it helps with asthma, pain, inflammation, ulcers, cancer, and anxiety. You also see apinine in pine needles, rosemary, basil, parsley, and dill. So, if we go back to the original screen, Apinine, some of the strains that have a lot of um, apinine in them are Purple Kush, Bay Dream, and AK-47. Myrcene, remember when Jesus was born and they brought him Frankenstein, something enough? Myrcene. <laughs> so Myrcene, is um, the aroma is like clove, musky, earthy, and herbal for those you know edible makers. Uh, vaporizes at 332 degrees Fahrenheit. It produces a sedating and couch lock effect. It's very relaxing. I guess they want a little baby juice sleep through at night. Potential <laughs> medical value is um, antioxidant effect, treatment of insomnia, pain, and inflammation. Mercine is also found in mangoes, lemongrass, thyme, and hops. Mercine, some of the strains that are really high in mercine, granddaddy purple, amnesia, and that's a sativa. What did you say? Uh-oh. <laughs> and a train wreck is one of the hybrids uh, that has a lot of mercy in it. Next is limonene. So limonene, that aroma is citrus. Now limonene is like one of my favorite terpenes. 
um, because the potential effects are an elevated mood and stress release. As a mother of triplets that are 17 and everybody's going to college and a business owner and I work a job and I'm advocating and run to the Capitol, I need a lot of lemonade. Yes, 17-year-old triplets at that. <laughs> Potential medical value is the treatment of um, anxiety, depression, inflammation, pain, and cancer. And it's found in fruit rinds, rosemary, juniper, and peppermint. So if we go back here. Um, so lemonine is found in as an indica form, Hindu Kush, sativa, my favorite, lemon G, electric lemon G, sorry, my um, and as a hybrid, strawberry banana. So next is caryophylline, and that aroma is pepper, spicy, woody, and clove-like aroma. Potential effects, stress relief. Pain, anxiety, depression, and ulcers are some of the medical uh, treatments that a cannabis strain high in caryophylline would be good for. And it's also found in black pepper, cloves, and cinnamon. And caryophylline, some of the strains that have, it looks like there, we have listed all hybrids. Um, Fire OG, CG4, and, and GSC. Girl Scout cookie, yes. <laughs> Next is linalool. Sorry. Since I don't have a computer in front of me, it's kind of hard to do this little up Okay, linalool. Uh, its aroma is floral. The potential effects are mood enhancement and sedation. This is like my second favorite one. Um, it treats anxiety, depression, insomnia, pain, inflammation, and neurodegenerative disease also found in lavender. Okay, so linalool. Kosher um, Kush is an indica that's really high in uh, that lavendery linalool. Uh, indica also is romulin. That's another strain that has a lot of linalool in it. And Sour Kush is a hybrid with that wonderful cookie. Next is Humulene. Humulene, the aroma is a hops, woody, and earthy aroma. Medical value, it's really good at um, for inflammation. And it is also found in hops coriander, cloves, and basil. Oh, we're gonna go back. <laughs> so, humulene, some of the strains are black cherry OG, that's an indica, death star, 
And Girl Scout cookies have a lot of humor in them as well. And last but not least, Asamine. The aroma is sweet, it's herbal and woody, and the potential medical value is an antiviral, antifungal, antiseptic, decongestant, and antibacterial. It's also found in mint, parsley, pepper, basil, mangoes, orchids, and kumquats. So you use all of this information, um, what, what cannabinoids are in your cannabis, what terpenes are in your cannabis, to really find the right medicine to deal with the, the symptoms that you are attempting to manage with cannabis. So this is um, something similar. You would see this on like leafly.com or um, some of the other sites that help you profile different strains, but it'll give you the percentage of each cannabinoid. So this has um, CBN um, and linalool. So we're talking about sour diesel. Has a little bit of CBN, a lot of CBG, a lot of myrcene, some THCV, some apinine, some limonene, some carotheline. So you're getting a lot of those um, stress relief effects, a lot of those anti-anxiety effects, a lot of the mood elevation, um, and some pain management here. We've got CBG, so we know that's, that, that's the precursor to THC and um, and uh, CBD, we got CBC in here, and that is what is making your medicine. So that's how you should be looking for strains, not just indica versus sativa, but really looking at the full cannabinoid profile. Really? Yeah, and so if you're, now I don't know what the labeling requirements are for Massachusetts, but like in Connecticut, they're required to put down the cannabinoid profile and as well as the terpene profile. And so that, I think that should be standard because yeah. it really, um, it really helps you decide what works for you. And if it's not, that's something that should definitely, you can definitely ask and they should be able to provide you that information. Um, and, and a lot of times, I when I go to my dispensary, I request, you know, like, what is, I, I want, because I like certain terpenes, so I'll ask specifically for a, terp, a, a specific terpene profile, terpene and cannabinoid profile. So who's a cannabis patient? <laughs> right. But, you know, and the reason why I want to ask this question is because anybody can be a cannabis patient. Um, a lot of people think that you have to have, you know, a, a certain, you know, a lot of people will say, I'm for the medical, but I'm not for, you know, those people just who want to get. And I, I hear where they're coming from, but I believe that almost everyone who is consuming cannabis is consuming it med med medicinally. Um, all, I think that the majority of people are self-medicating and they don't even know it. And so, um, 
we shouldn't be discriminated against who's better or who's worse, you know, just because someone has um, a disease, uh, a, a, a disease or a, something diagnosed doesn't mean that someone who doesn't couldn't be managing those things as well. Like I said, I'm a mother of triplets. I mean, stress is for real, for real, you know, so that I should be able to medicate as I choose. So access, how do we get access um, here? So I, I put up some ways. Um, here I know you have a caregiver program, right? So somebody can grow for you and you can purchase directly from that person. Um, you can also grow your own. There are cultivation uh, facilities. Can you buy directly here in Connecticut? I mean in Massachusetts from a cultiv cultivator? Or you have to you have to go still through, okay. And a lot of the dispensaries do grow their own here. Yeah. Um, so in Connecticut, we have dispensaries. So that's how patients access cannabis in Connecticut. Um, and here I know you have medical, and then you have what, three now? How many uh, dispensaries are open now? Six? Somebody said six? Eight? So now you have about eight, but I, nothing here locally, right? Nothing in Boston, just kind of like all around. One just opened in like Boston. Like yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I remember reading about that. Okay. <laughs> right on time. Where is it? Um, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> there's also a, there's a dispensary in downtown Boston. Medical? Yeah. Okay. So for adult use, there's one now here in Boston. And then of course, there's always been, I, I hate calling it the black market, but the non-legal market that people access cannabis, but you know, the, the danger in that is you don't know what you're getting, you don't know where it's been stored, you don't know what they sprayed it with, what they grew it, how they grew it, and so you know, you wanna, you do wanna purchase um, a regulated product. Gifting, which is another way that people can access uh, cannabis here. Um, you can give your, grow something and give it to your neighbor. Um, some states like, uh, or excuse me, like the District of Columbia, they don't actually have a retail program, but it, cannabis is legal, so they can gift uh, up to a certain amount, but they're trying to make retail, and so, you know, not having laws that are written that give people opportunities really affect how people are able to access cannabis and the internet. Y'all know y'all can buy stuff on the internet? <laughs> I wouldn't trust it, um, but you can buy CBD products, definitely. Amazon has a product. Uh, you can go to your local gas station and find CBD products down to flour. Um, again, I wouldn't trust it unless you're able to find uh, lab results and you know, all that stuff. So what conditions are effectively treated with cannabis? So um, these are all the types of cannabis, uh, cancer that have been shown to um, respond well to cannabis, either with reduction of tumor sizes um, that we've seen or with the management of symptoms related to cancer treatment or um, actual pain management, those kind of things. So it's pretty much everything. Um, other symptoms managed by cannabis, addiction, so we all know that cannabis is not a gateway drug, it's actually an exit drug, and it helps people to um, 
get through the withdrawal of um, like opioid addiction, for instance. And if you use large amounts of cannabis, I mean, you're, at this point you're dabbing, you're eating edibles, you're consuming a lot of cannabis um, in order to get through the initial withdrawal. But once you get to the other side of this, you're not now addicted or, or relying on methadone or suboxone. So cannabis is a very effective uh, way to treat addiction. It is effective for anxiety, as we talked about, for tension, for stress, for depression, for digestive problems, inflammation, spasms, and convulsions. Other conditions, like my grandma, her arthritis, and that can be done, we're gonna talk a little bit about methods really quickly, but you know that can be topical, so you can actually put it on your arthritic, arthritic um, knees and joints, or um, you can actually consume cannabis in a variety of ways and help manage that arthritic pain as well. ADHD, I definitely have that. Electric limb G is great for that. <laughs> GI disorders, um, cancer treatments we just talked about, HIV and AIDS, really used for mood elevation and appetite and, and um, stimulation and people with HIV and AIDS and wasting syndrome. Insomnia, migraines, movement disorders, MS. I know countless people who have been medicated with MS and are really seeing significant improvements in exacerbations and are able to live comfortably with cannabis. Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder. So, you know, a lot of us who come from urban environments, especially if we grew up in the era, in the heightened era of the war on drugs, um, there is associated urban trauma, um, very similar to PTSD, except for these are veterans of war in the city, inner cities. Oh, oh, I talked about wasting syndrome, anorexia, anorexia, bulimia, and nausea are also other conditions relieved by cannabis. So consumption methods, you can either, in, you can inhale uh, cannabis, and when it's inhaled, the gases enter the lungs before absorbing into the bloodstream. There are currently two prevalent types of inhalation, inhalation methods, smoking and vaporization. You can use water pipes, hand pipes, papers, blunts, vaporizers, hookahs, and one-hitters. There goes some. Oral delivery methods. Oral delivery includes all techniques that are administered through the mouth, including tinctures, ingestible oils, and infused foods or drinks. We most often assume that oral delivery denotes ingestion through the digestive tract before entering the bloodstream, but this is not always the case. Tinctures are essentially a, to a topical application that is administered through the mouth and they are immediately absorbed into the bloodstream, unlike edibles or drinks. Ingestible oils. They're the happy medium between edibles and concentrates. They are swallowed and ingested like an infused product, but has the consistency of an oil. These oils can either be eaten or put in easily ingested capsules. One popular oil is RSO, or Rick Simpson oil. It originated in 2003 when Simpson used concentrated cannabis to treat his skin cancer. 
RSO is made by extracting the therapeutic compounds of cannabis with alcohol and then evaporating the solvent, leaving behind a tar-like substance resembling an oil. Tinctures. Tinctures are a liquid cannabis extract used by consumers looking for dosages. Let me look at this closer because I can't see that far. <laughs> okay. Um, looking for dose control and fast acting effect with health risks associated with smoke or without the health risks associated with smoking. Most commonly, alcohol is used as a solvent. Any proof greater than 80% can be used effectively. But other fat-soluble liquids can be used as well, such as vinegar or glycerol. Generally, three or four drops of the tincture are placed under the tongue when it is absorbed into the body versus swallowing or digesting it. When ingested, tinctures are immediately absorbed into the empty stomach but require time to process through the liver, reducing dosage control, so be careful. We're almost out of time. Um, edibles, we'll talk real quick about edibles and I'll ask, uh, see if anybody has questions. Eating or drinking cannabis provides significantly different effects from delivery methods. Edibles can be defined as any food that contains cannabis, whether or not the cannabinoids are bioavailable. These products have longer onset and tend to cause a powerful body psychoactive effect. And you can learn more about edibles and any part of this that anybody would like me to send them, I'll be happy to. And then we talked about topical. So actually putting, administering directly onto joints and um, helping to alleviate pain. And because of the fact that um, we have what's called the blood-brain barrier, um, when you apply topically, you, can, you don't get high. And then there's different varying lengths of time that the cannabis-related high lasts and edibles are much longer, four to six hours. If you smoke it, it's one to two hours and concentrate, lasts about a half hour to two hours. So there's dosing, and I can give you all this. Anybody have questions? I have a question about uh, terps mm -hmm. and oral uh, ingestion, mm -hmm. and how it, 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 you describe that as, as a particular um, not, not only. No. Um, that, that's one of the effects. That's the aroma that usually um, you'll get from that. But when you actually consume the terpene, it works in conjunction with your endocannabinoid system and the other cannabinoids to produce an effect. So why, when you, took, when you take an edible through a lab, why can't they do a terp profile? Hmm. I didn't know that they couldn't. I'll take your number and I mean your email address and find out why. We can talk about it more. Unless Brian, do you have an input on that? I'm guessing, but probably, I mean, if, you, if it's an edible itself, it's got a whole lot of other stuff in there. It's not just a pure cannabis product anymore. So you're talking about a lot of different types of testing and everything that you're asking for. And if it's an extract, you're probably losing a lot of terpenes in that at, at just the extraction process alone. So if they're not reintroducing those terpenes, you might have, depending on how they extracted it, you could have stripped all the terpenes out to begin with. Yeah, that is true. I, I didn't even think about that part of it. Yeah, terpenes can be extracted just like everything else. And so you can end up with little to none. Any other questions? Yes. Um, how are patients in New England obtaining their cards or like 
Yep, so I own a company, Canon Health, and we do uh, medical marijuana evaluations and certify people in the state of Connecticut to obtain their um, medical marijuana cards. And there's another certifying um, body, uh, Canacare Docs, who also are in Connecticut, but they're also here in Massachusetts. And then there are individual practitioners. Um, oh wait, and let me not forget Dr. Uma. Um, she actually she does certifications here in Mass and Rhode Island, I believe. And so there there are practitioners sprinkled throughout, you know, and you can definitely find them. Weed maps, like I'm listed with weed maps, um, and you can put in mar marijuanadoctors.com can uh, send you to uh, different uh, doctors in your area. Unfortunately, we're out of time oh, with Kibra Smith-Bolton from Canada Health. I'm so excited to have her here. She is a personal friend as well. So, blessing you for her and all the other knowledge that we're doing at the convention. Um, next up, we're going to have Eli Elias, and he's going to be talking about cannabis in solid form. Um, uh,